Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. What a great day to come to the table. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Redemption's Table Podcast. I have a quick question. When was the last time you made a new friend? When was the last time you made a new friend? I want to encourage you to do something this week. Pay attention, look around, see who you are already coming in contact with, and see who you might be drawn to to say, hey, you want to go grab a Coke? Hey, let's go, let's go share lunch together. Sit down to a table. The potential is always there for a brand new friend whenever we come together. Every table is one invitation away. And, and we are all the recipients of great grace everywhere we go. But I have discovered that breaking bread with someone multiplies the grace. Kind of like five loaves and two fish. Not only does it multiply the grace, it feeds a multitude of need in each of our lives. And that's exactly how I felt when I first sat down and talked to today's podcast guest I had heard him speak at a Good Friday service several months ago. During that service, he had talked about redemption. And that rings a bell with me, that word redemption. And so when I extended an invitation to Dr. P. Banneker Hatcherson to share a table, he graciously said, yes. Now, I want to let you know, we kind of turned the tables on this podcast instead of eating first and then talking. This time we talked first. We met in his sanctuary at 23rd Street Baptist Church, downtown Birmingham. We had a conversation, and then afterwards we got up from that conversation and walked right around the corner from his church to Sweet Tea Restaurant there in Birmingham. I shared a wonderful meal. Interestingly enough, we ordered the same identical thing. We had the hamburger steak, mashed potatoes, and kind of a stir-fry mushroom and squash, and it was really, really good. But I want to say this is such a rich conversation you're about to listen to. If you didn't know different, you would think Banneker and I are lifelong friends. But in reality, our friendship has just begun. But you know, that is the potential for every dinner invitation we initiate in every dinner invitation we accept that bears the heartbeat of the one who says, Come and dine. Come and dine. John chapter 21, verse 12. So, come and dine. We saved you a seat. Let's get started. Well, hello, and welcome to Redemption's Table once again. 
Today we are sitting in the 23rd Street Baptist Church, downtown Birmingham. I'm sitting here with the pastor, Dr. P.B. Hatcherson. Welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here with you and looking forward to our time together. Yes, sir. Banneker yes. is uh, your preferred name. That's the P.B., the B and the P. The, you're right. Uh, uh, Patrick is the P. I was named after my cousin who took my mother to the hospital. Uh, his name was Kirk Kirkpatrick. Okay. And she thought it would be nice to, to name me after him, and she didn't like Kirk, so okay. I became Patrick. <laughs> and then the Banneker named after Benjamin Banneker, a scientist, mathematician, uh, who actually memorized the um, drawings of Washington, D.C. when uh, uh, the original drawings were destroyed, and he had committed them to memory. Um, the first wooden clock that kept perfect time he made. Wow. And so um, that's who I was named after. In fact, most days, I don't have it on today, but most days I wear a Benjamin Banneker watch. Yeah, you, I think you were wearing it the last time we visited. Okay, yeah, because yeah, I've got two of them and probably will add to my collection in the near future. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Two things I know about you. First off, I heard you speak for the first time at 16th Street Baptist Church. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful service every year. Good Friday. Yes. Good Friday in black and white. And the seven last sayings of Jesus from the cross. Yeah. You spoke there this past April. You spoke uh, from John 19:13 to Telestai, where Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished, yes. And that day you, you talked about redemption. I said, mm -hmm. We need to talk. That was mm -hmm. in the back of my mind. I said, We need to talk. The other thing I know about you. I visited your office. We didn't know each other. Right. Two, two, three weeks ago. Right. And instantly felt a connection with you. It was Likewise. like we were friends right. and had been old friends for a long time. That doesn't happen. I don't know. That may happen to you all the time. It doesn't happen to me. It doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking forward to where God is going to lead our friendship. Likewise. Uh, yeah. Yes. And I... Uh, Again, c congratulate you on the birth of your grandchild, and uh, I pray that God will give continued health and strength to the baby as the child continues to grow. And uh, I know you and your family are extremely happy, and, and I glean some of that happiness from you. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, what, uh, my, my daughter, Lauren, her husband, Chase, their first son, Wow. Last year, last summer, they lost a baby when mm. she was five months pregnant, uh, a little girl, Rory Capri. Uh, so this was uh, an especially meaningful time for them uh, and, and very redemptive. And it was just a time of great joy. So great. appreciate that word. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Well, you were preaching on the cross when I first heard you. Mm. And our journeys begin at the cross, yes. and I believe our journeys, you know, part of, our, the, part of the commandment Jesus gave us is to deny ourselves, take mm -hmm. up our cross daily, and follow Him. So our lives, our walk is all about the cross. Right. Uh, and you did talk about redemption that day, and I just want to begin with this opening question. Share your journey. Uh, where did the cross become a pivotal uh, happening in your life, and what does it mean to you, and what does redemption mean to you? My journey is so unique, I think it's unique. Um, I accepted Christ at the age of four. Okay. And um, 
that were there was no unusual prodding by my parents in fact when I went up to give my life to Christ or to announce that I given my life to Christ they had no idea where I was going uh, they had taught me not to walk during church service <laughs> so when I got up during the invitation uh, I think it was my mother leaned to grab me, but then she caught herself. But I was going to give my life to Christ. Uh, and it seemed like, even at the age of four, it seemed like I had wrestled with the decision for so long. Uh, but I, I accepted Christ at the age of four. And probably by the time I was uh, five years old, I was on the evangelism team. Wow. Uh, one of the funniest stories was I remember witnessing to some people and a bee was swarming over my head and the adults were afraid. And I said, uh, don't be afraid, God will take care of us. And I kept, you know, pointing to scriptures and the bee stung me and I took off running. <laughs> so that's how young I was. I ran, that was the end of that evangelism session. <laughs> but uh, I started at that young age and uh, I started preaching relatively young. I was 17 years old. And once again, it seemed like I had wrestled with the decision for so long, um, was not transparent about the wrestling match with anyone until close to the time. Um, my parents sensed it, mm -hmm. but they didn't want me to make the decision because of anything they said. So the only words I remember uh, my parents saying about it, my dad who is by that time was preaching as well and, 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 and has been pastoring now for years, for decades. He asked me, did I feel any inclination to preach? Mm -hmm. I denied it and he said, okay. He said, well, you know you can come to me. He said, but I'll give you this word of advice. Uh, if God calls you to preach and you don't do it, the pressure will kill you. Mm -hmm. But by the same token, if you preach, and God didn't call you, preaching will kill you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, uh, and so that, that stuck in my mind. Um, and in the college dorm room, um, I called my pastor, um, the late Dr. Edward Jones, and uh, in his own way, he waited about two days before he called me back. And so by that time, all the doubts that I thought were dead had resurfaced. And so when he called me back, I stuttered out, uh, God has called me to preach. And he said, I want you to be sure. When are you coming back to town? And I told him, he said, well, let's talk when you get back. And I hung up the phone and my mind said, you have made the biggest mistake. God didn't call you to preach. And I cried and prayed and cried and prayed until I fell asleep. And then I had a dream that kind of confirmed it for me. Um, and I woke up about two, three o'clock in the morning wanting to call him back with more confidence, but mm -hmm. because of the lateness of the hour, I didn't. But after that dream, I never had any doubts. Wow. And so I preached my first sermon, November 24th, 1987. Okay. And uh, by 1992, as a senior, graduating senior in college, um, the, my first church in Ruston, Louisiana called me to pastor. And... Um, that's that's where my pastoral ministry began. Okay. Yeah. And you're here now at 23rd Street. 
Yes. Baptist, this, Birmingham? This, right. This is my third church. I pastored in Ruston, Louisiana for four years, then El Dorado, Arkansas for four years, and I've been here for 19. Okay. Yeah. Before we talk about the church, I want to ask you, what does redemption mean to you personally? Redemption for me is that Christ has paid a debt that he didn't owe because I owed a debt I couldn't pay. And uh, when I look at my relationship with God, I never began or ended with, this is what I've done for him. It's always, this is what he's done for me. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, when you were preaching that Good Friday on It Is Finished, you shared a story about redemption, about, well, using the term tetelestai, yes. uh, that that is a canceling of a debt yes. term. And you shared a story, I've heard the story told many, many times, you told it and did a beautiful job, I hadn't heard it in years, about the little boy who made the boat. Yes, yes, a beautiful story. Uh, boy made a boat with his hands, carved it out of wood, was so proud of his boat, and uh, he was literally playing in the little pond behind the house and put the boat in the pond. The pond, I mean the boat uh, f uh, flowed, floated outside of his reach, so he ran in the house to try to get his daddy to retrieve it. By the time his daddy was there, they couldn't find the boat. And uh, weeks later, he was in the corner store and he saw the boat, uh, clearly it was his, and he wanted his boat back. Mm -hmm. The owner of the store said, son, I'm sorry, this is my boat. He said, if you want it, you have to pay for it. And so the price of the boat was literally the exact amount the boy had in his savings, his little piggy bank. And so he took his money, all of his savings, gave everything he had to purchase his boat. And then when he walked out, he said, little boat, you're mine now. I made you and now I paid for you. Wow. And that's what Christ has done for us. It is he that has made us, not we ourselves. But on Calvary, he paid for those whom he had made. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful story. Yeah. I was in Haiti about three years ago. Sunday morning, I was assigned a church, a downtown church in uh, Port-au-Pay mm -hmm. to preach there. And of course, obviously using an interpreter. And one of the hymns that they began to sing, it was a beautiful church, it, it, the back portion of the sanctuary was open to the sky. Wow. The, in other words, the roof, there was no roof there. Yeah. Uh, they were still in the process of completing that roof. Probably about, I'm guessing, 400 people wow. crammed into this building. Mm. And they, they began to sing, to sing. I knew the, I knew the song by the, by the tune. They begin to sing, sucking, can't talk. They begin to <laughs> sing, there is a fountain. Oh, wow, yes. And yes. when we came to that last mm. verse, they're singing in Haitian Creole. Mm -hmm. uh, but I knew the, knew the, uh, knew the verse, uh, the dying thief rejoiced to see the uh, fountain that in fountain his in his day. day. Yeah. And, but I think the last verse says, uh, when he gets right down to the end of it, it says, redeeming love yes. will be my theme and shall be until I, I die. die. Yes. And I hit my face there before mm. preaching. I realized that's my theme. Wow. That's my, 
redeeming uh, love. Purpose is redemption yes. and redeeming love yes. to share that love. So mm. powerful word. Powerful word. Yeah. And it 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 makes our faith unrivaled by any other religion because every other religion will talk about either some deity that no longer lives mm -hmm. or it's a non-theistic uh, religion so that the power is within you but ours is one where our Savior has done the work mm -hmm. it's just us accepting by faith what he has already done and it puts you in a posture of not duty but devotion yeah and uh, there's nothing more freeing than a relationship where you serve gladly versus serving by force yeah you know and and so that's that's the desire i try to lead people into having is is we gather on sundays but if your attitude is, huh, I'm obligated to go, you're missing redemption. Yeah. You have an opportunity to go. Yeah. That, that you are graced with the knowledge of who he is. That knowledge has been blinded from the eyes of, those, of some who don't believe. But, but for us, we've been graced with that knowledge. And... Um, it's a, that gift is worthy of celebrating. Yeah. And so when we gather, we do so not out of duty, but out of devotion. Yeah. 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 I've uh, prayed for the last several years for the favor of God. Mm -hmm. One morning during quiet time, it struck me and I reshifted my prayer just to be with you, God. Yes. In yes. your presence is yes. favor. Yes. I was trying to remember a quote I put recently on uh, Facebook um, along the lines of um, prayer is not, oh no, no, I know what it was. It was that um, God is not um, seeking to give us a benefit we desire. It is, it's us growing in our desire, knowing he is the benefit. Mm. Wow. And that's sometimes, you know, it's heaven to me wherever I be yeah. if Jesus is there. Wow. And sometimes that's all the joy I need. Circumstances don't change, but knowing that he's present yeah. makes the difference. Yeah. In fact, when I first started preaching, I was uh, attending uh, college in Lafayette, Louisiana. And uh, recent, last week I was in revival and I met a guy who attended the same school. He was a musician and I was sharing with him this story and his story was identical except mine was preaching, his was music. I said, I started preaching and I was preaching everywhere. I mean, I don't know how those, police, those places heard about me. Uh -huh. I was preaching in back roads and everywhere. And because I was working on sermons, my studies in college um, lacked. Okay. And my theology then, my, my, my warped theology was, since I'm doing God's work, 
he's going to miraculously bless me to pass these tests. And of course, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> and, uh, and so I literally flunked out of college, not because of clubs and parties, but because of preaching. And um, I was angry with God. I said, I've been doing your work and you let this happen to me. And um, all he said to me, the spirit said to me, I still love you. That was it. But that was all I needed. Yeah. You know, I still flunked out. Yeah. <laughs> I, st I still had to make adjustments to my life and so on and so forth. But the assurance that he was present yeah. was enough. Yeah. Yeah. And when God tells me I still love you, what he means in that is I still love you and you're going to figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And, and I've had those moments. That's one of those lessons that's easy to learn but hard to remember yeah and uh he's had to tell me that multiple times i still love you yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> now you figure it out yes yeah. <laughs> we're sitting in a beautiful sanctuary 23rd street baptist church uh what's the history of this church this church is uh celebrated 119 years uh this year uh and it's been at this location um it has uh, uh, a marvelous history, and uh, I should know this. I th I think I'm only the eighth pastor in 119 years. Wow! And that speaks a lot of, of this congregation. You've been here how long? I've been here 19 years. 19 years. So you came in 2000. Right. Okay. And my pre my media predecessor was here 34 years. Wow. And uh, fortunately, he's still alive, and every now and then he pops in on us. Um, but uh, it's 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 a it's a history. Um, when I moved here in 2000, it was largely known for its music ministry. Okay. And um, and God took us on a uncomfortable transition. Mm-hmm because I wanted to maintain the strong music ministry and implement um, a strong preaching teaching ministry. But in the process, the music ministry was dismantled. Okay. Um, and I, it, it was awkward for, for a while, but what it did, it, it forced the congregation to place their attention more on the word than on the music. And then as the congregation began to appreciate the word more, the music ministry began to pick back up. But it took, that was several years to that process. Well, yeah. if, to be somewhere for 19 years speaks volumes about God's servant yeah. and volumes about God's people. Yes, yes. Yes, cause, and because and it, it's, I mean, it's an, it's an amazing process that I left a church where just like you and I, when we first met, when I moved to El Dorado, Arkansas, almost instantaneously, there was a connection. Mm -hmm. um, there were some unique things happened that led me to move to Birmingham, mm -hmm. uh, one of which, while I pastored the first church that I pastored in Ruston, Louisiana, uh, one of my members' husbands died. I preached his funeral his son is a deacon at this church. So the deacons came to support him and the former pastor. 
when they came to the funeral, the former pastor said to me afterwards, you will probably be the next pastor of 23rd Street Baptist Church. Hmm. Well, I'm just meeting this guy, so I'm like, okay, yeah. This. And, but I didn't give much credence to it. You know, he's just being nice and saying something. But later he invited me to come preach. And uh, I preached here, which was my very first trip to Birmingham. Um, and uh, that was a good experience. Um, but I later moved to Eldoret, Arkansas. When, okay. he, when he retired, the church contacted me and invited me to preach. Um, and so because there was such an instantaneous connection in Eldoret, Arkansas, I moved here expecting an instantaneous connection. And it was not so instantaneous. Okay. Um, and uh, there were times where both me and the congregation wondered if we'd messed up. Uh, I knew they wanted it. I'm sure they knew I wanted it. Um, but every time it looked like um, I was going to take an exit, mm -hmm. something would happen where God would say no. And, um, and so it, it's a testimony to people in relationships, whether it's pastor to people or family members, marriages, that sometimes you have to stay with it and endure and the bond doesn't come instantaneous, but it deepens because you've been through some stuff together. Yeah. Yeah. Growing together. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 I love this church immensely. Um, you know, I I take joy coming here. That sometimes I come here knowing nobody else is here. I come in and walk around and then leave. Yeah. <laughs> you wow. know. Um, so, it, but that that developed over the years. Want to shift to talking a little bit about the table concept of the table because podcast is redemption's table to me the table is a powerful symbol mm -hmm. um, what what does table mean to you in the concept of redemption I see the um, I see Jesus gathering his disciples and um, saying to them one of you will betray me and each of them not being self-confident, but asking, is it I? Yeah. And in the early days of my ministry, I criticized them for that. Yeah. But as I've gotten older, I, I compliment them because uh, I think we all should regularly ask, Lord, is it I? Because yeah. betrayal can be such a subtle act. Uh, all it takes to betray is to embrace an agenda different than the agreed upon agenda. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and Peter, um, who denied him, was certainly a candidate for it mm -hmm. uh, because even in his effort to want to protect Christ at times, he was trying to protect him from the mission that Christ had been sent to do. Mm -hmm. So it was a well-intentioned agenda, but it was a, an agenda that made him a good candidate for betrayal 
betrayal. And so, Lord, is it I? When I go to preach, is it I? Because mm -hmm. it's very easy in the middle of a sermon to wonder if you're being impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but is that the agenda? It's, it slips in there, it, and it, you have to rebuke it instantly. Instantly, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so things, things like that. So, yeah, I, I see the table as a place of self-evaluation. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. Because they all ask the same question. <laughs> the only difference between Judas's question and the rest of them, he just said, Rabbi. You know, because mm -hmm. never once in Scripture, I preached on Judas several years ago, never once in Scripture I went back and researched it, he never once referred to Jesus as Lord. Wow. He said, it's not I, is it, Rabbi? Wow. And, of course, every, you know, the disciples, it's not I. You know, I think they were emphatic, followed by some serious doubt. Lord, yeah. Is it, Lord? Is it? Yeah. 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 So... Yeah. And that's a good place to be. Um, uh, I, I think we need that, or I, I'll speak for myself. I need that constant reevaluation, self-evaluation, yeah. Christ-evaluation. Yeah. I think that's what prayer is, because more than prayer uh, being an act where we bend God's will to match our wish. Mm -hmm. It's really us blending our desire to match his design. Mm -hmm. So Lord, what is your design? Um, what is your agenda? Uh, because the moment that I emphatically feel that it can't be me is probably me. Yeah. yeah. Along with the same table theme here, what feeds your heart? What I know, you know, you're a minister, you're a pastor, you're constantly ministering to people, but, but what are the things God uses to feed you? Uh, and, and He can feed us in a lot of different ways. Yeah. I, I, I sincerely love expository preaching, teaching, study. One of the most significant shifts in my life was uh, years ago I was on a revival circuit. I was doing a lot of preaching. And um, I noticed, though, that there was a subtle shift in preaching. Uh, preaching used to be, number one, in, particularly uh, in the African-American tradition, it was thought-provoking. Mm -hmm. uh, Preachers, those that were considered great preachers, prided themselves on not having a beheaded pulpit. <laughs> you know, it, okay. you, you you don't leave. You know, like in the Orient, they would had the custom of leaving their shoes outside. Mm -hmm. uh, the preacher wanted to make sure we didn't have a custom of leaving our brains outside. I got you. And um, but then it shifted to more emotionalism than thought provocation so that if you were charismatic and emotional you could sell any idea. Mm -hmm. I saw that shift and I saw it when it was happening. Uh, the second thing I saw was that the emphasis became more on God as a relief agent than our uh, discipleship to Him. And when I saw that shift taking place I had to make a critical decision. Do I join the shift 
or do I stick with where I am? And so I began to wrestle in a greater degree with, um, with biblical text. And the mm -hmm. first biblical text that really transformed my, my ministry at that time was Hebrews 11. Because that Hebrews 11 and 1, now faith is the substance mm -hmm. of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, was being used and still is being used as a verse to claim some material resource. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was not my experience. And, and, you know, there's no greater challenge for the preacher when his exposition contradicts his experience. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now you've got to challenge it. So I was like, there have been some things that I've asked God for, but there have been some things that I have faith for, such as when I uh, was in college and I was praying and asking God to miraculously give me the answers to the test. I had faith mm -hmm. and it didn't work. So I had to look at what does that passage really mean? And so I ended up doing a series through the book of Hebrews and the light didn't click until I got to chapter 11. And this had been, I'd been in the book of Hebrews the whole year. And I noticed that everything in the book of Hebrews pointed to the superiority of Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the new covenant is superior to the old co covenant. He's superior to the Old Testament prophets, on and on and on. He's superior to the angels, it just his superiority. And then Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So the context is really, whenever God has said something, it is proven true. Mm -hmm. And so Hebrews 11 goes through a list of people who trusted God at his word and it worked, it proved to be true. Mm -hmm. And so faith, essentially in Hebrews 11 and 1 is believing that what God has said about Christ is true. Hmm. <laughs> and when I saw that, that was like the light bulb that, yes, this is all about Christ. Yeah. This is not about a car, cash, companions, or creature comforts. It's about the Christ. Yeah. And, and so I began to see it in other passages of Scripture repeatedly that this is consistently about Christ. So what keeps me going and excited is when he affirms to me that that message is true. Yeah. Yeah. It rings. Right. Yeah. Right. As you already mentioned, I was out in Texas celebrating the birth of a grandbaby, a grand, grandson, and I stepped into a Mexican food place while I was out there that mm -hmm. I'd never eaten at before, La Bodega in Odessa, Texas. I love chili ranos. I love Mexican food. Okay. Had a chili reno. I'm setting this up for the question. I'm telling a little story set up for the question coming up. Chili reno, uh, normally made with poblano peppers, but these were made with Anaheim peppers, a little bit more flavor. Mm -hmm. I ordered it, just a cheese chili reno, and sight unseen, I didn't really pay attention to what was on the menu. Uh, and when it came, I looked at it a minute and thought, what is that on top of it? And I thought it was black beans. It wasn't black beans at all. It had raisins, pecans. Wow sour cream and guacamole, which sour cream and guacamole fit, but raisin and pecan right. for the chili ranch. I was like, well, that's weird. Yeah. You know, the end, but it was the ingredients. And I, when I, I thought, all right, I'm going to try it. And, and together, 
that blending of ingredients made for a spectacular meal. Okay. Would not have been my choice. Right. I didn't see that coming. I say all that to say this. What are what are three ingredients? I believe God works in our lives, you know, different ingredients uh, to uh, enhance his servants as far as usability or just give add flavor. We're the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. Add flavor wherever we are. What are three ingredients to uh, to Banneker? Hmm. Number one would be my intense prayer and meditation life. Okay. Um, I need that. Um, uh, number two uh, would have to be my curiosity. Uh, I'm a curious person uh, about some things, not everything. Some things that, you know, if I consider it not pertinent to to what who I am you know I but if, if I'm curious about a lot of things so it, my curiosity kind of feeds my interest in diverse things and uh, and and seeming to be a contradiction to curiosity the third ingredient would be my quest for simplicity okay you know I when things start getting too convoluted and congested, I'm like, no, nah, that's not for me. I just want to keep it simple. Yeah. I think those three ingredients may speak to why we hit it off so well when I <laughs> okay. first walk, walked in the door. Because I can identify with all three of those. Okay. Uh, um, kind of like the raisins and the guacamole. I mean, uh, yeah, guacamole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to ask another question. And I ask this question occasionally as I'm out and about. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever the Holy Spirit kind of prompts me to work the question in. And I'm from Birmingham. I was born here in 1959. All that transpired in Birmingham my growing up years, of course, as a child, I was, you know, as a child, you're just not caught up in everything right. news-wise. Um, and, but in recent years, like right now, I'm reading Carolyn Maul McKinstry's book, While the World Watched. She was in 16th Street Baptist Church the day it was bombed. Wow. She was friends with those four girls, mm. knew them. She was literally feet away from being the fifth girl. Mm. And in light of you know the last several years in our country, racial issues still linger. And I ask, what is the answer? What is it going to take? Because I, I pray. And, and, and as I'm out and about here in the South, I look and I see uh, everybody getting along. Mm-hmm. And I think we have come a long way, but I also have to understand and recognize we have a long way to go. Yeah. What's yeah. the answer? And I'm not talking about just an answer like this is an answer. I think answers include action. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do? Yeah. I, perspective. I think, I think one of the problems we're having is we're speaking the same words but different languages. Mm-hmm. And if we can ever reconcile our words where we hear each other and understand each other, we can make a lot of progress. Um, sports has done good in bringing races together uh, on, some, on, on, on major levels. I was about to say on some levels, but even on major levels. Um, I, I, I think once we recognize we have more in common than we have 
differences. Mm -hmm. And I think sports is one arena that helps us do that. Entertainment as a whole helps us do that. Um, I think it, racism is a creation of the powers that be. Mm -hmm. If we can pit two sides against each other, then we can manipulate the outcome. Um, <laughs> two political parties pit two people apart mm -hmm. and you can always predict the outcome. Uh, races, genders, if you can always divide, then mm -hmm. you can conquer. I think if we ever get to the place, and it's going to take tough work because um, we talk a lot in our black community about things the white community should do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we ought to have that di discourse. Mm -hmm. But we also have to talk a lot about what we need to do in our own communities. Um, and those are tough conversations because if, if you have that conversation in the black community, you are branded as a sellout. Mm -hmm. um, I think the conversation needs to be had in the black community that might need to be a private conversation. Mm -hmm. And then we need to have another discourse with the white community. I think the white community needs to have some private conversations. Um, one of the challenges, and that's why 16th Street uh, with the uh, seven last saying is mm -hmm. such a powerful thing. One of the things that happened when I was in Arkansas is um, Pastor Dwayne Miller, who's still in, in El Dorado, at that time Pastor Second Baptist Church. They've renamed it since, but it was Second Baptist Church then. Uh, I heard him preach. I loved his preaching, and I invited him to preach. And he said, brother, and he, he, he has a heavy voice. He says, my brother, I'd be glad to preach. He said, but do me a favor. I want you to preach for me first. Hmm. And so my members and the black community came to Second Baptist Church and they greeted us with love and, 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 and warmth. And so when he came to preach for me, they came and, and shared and it was televised. So then uh, the pastor of First Assembly says, we want a piece of that. <laughs> So then I preached there and, and we brought in Pastor Barry Dobson, who was a uh, African-American pastor. And so it was a four church fellowship and we rotated it and we televised it. Wow. And it became a huge area event. Wow. Um, but it started with him having that conversation with his congregation in private and then taking action uh, it was not a big conversation I had to have because the, the, the black church is really welcoming of the white community. Mm -hmm. The black church or members of the black church doesn't necessarily feel welcomed in white congregations. And I think even some of that's changing because more of our, our people are joining white churches. Yeah. Um, but I think those are the kind of things. And I've said to pastors here in Birmingham, that your intentions may be well when you want to come to our communities and do mission service. Mm -hmm. But 
a lot of us as pastors take offense to it mm -hmm. because we're doing mission 52 weeks out of the year and then you come in with your ideas once or twice a year we would appreciate it better if you said okay pastor what are you doing and how can we assist yeah uh, you know and and I told them I said 23rd Street will not be your mission field yeah uh, and the question comes back if we share the same faith mm -hmm. we believe in the same God and we serve the same Christ if I'm not welcome in that pulpit why yeah the only thing we can figure is is racial yeah and if it's racial that means that your mission is based upon superiority versus inferiority, which means that's, that's still a racial issue. Yeah. yeah, and it's contradictory to the very thing that Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified. Right. Make them one, Make Father them God, one. as you and I are one. Make them one. Yes. And uh, one heart, one faith, one Lord, one Savior. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, those are kind of fellowships, and, and I was at the time president of the Ministers Alliance, and we were, we were having a lot of discussions, mm -hmm. black pastors, white pastors, and we had a large group. Uh, I can't remember what triggered it. Something in the city happened that, that caused uh, an overt racial divide, and that was, that was probably seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And so we started having meetings, but then when it came down to sharing pulpits, it kind of silenced. Hmm. And, and I tried to explain to them, I said, it's not because being in your pulpit would elevate my self-understanding, mm -hmm. but it would say something to the black community. Yeah. And it, but it kind of silenced. I mean, there were a couple of places that invited me to pray, mm -hmm. uh, read a scripture. And that was good fellowship. I was not, you know, it was, it was, it was good fellowship, but it was almost, it was perceived by the black community as a token. Yeah. Still not, as you mentioned, that there may be one. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned the service, the Good Friday service again. I, I love that service. There's two services in the Birmingham area annually that I do not want to miss, and that's one of them. Yes. I, I try to, I, I discovered it, uh, came across, across that, I think for the first time back in 2013, and I've made, uh, made a point, put it on my calendar, I, this is what I'm doing on yeah. Good Friday. Yeah. It's such a meaningful service yeah, it is. In, in a sacred space. Yeah. I love, love the dynamic of it. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah. Man, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your candor. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day as a pastor. Because when you talked about loving the word and you know expository preaching, and mm -hmm. when you walked out, you had a you had a, uh, a commentary in your hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew. I was like, oh my goodness! I, I hope I didn't interrupt his, his yeah. uh, study. Well, like I said, I st I stay in, in in study mode even when when I don't have the word in my hand. It's generally whatever I'm doing. I've got sermonic eyeglasses on. Uh, and I, I just love it. It's and and it's not as much of it going on as I want to see, but I'm committed to it as long as God enables me to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you one final question. In your sermon back uh Good Friday, 
you said this, you said purpose not only defines what is, but what but defines what one is or who one is, but also defines what one is not. Yes. yes. Uh, if you could sum your life up mm. in a singleness of purpose, thus far in your journey, realizing you've the Lord has more for you to do, but thus far, what what do you think your life's purpose zeroes in on? What 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 is it? To preach this gospel. To preach this gospel. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, love you, man. Man, uh, I have enjoyed this time. Yes, sir. And I appreciate you for for sharing it with me. Yes, sir. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, uh, for those of you who are tuning in, we'll be right back here every Monday morning. We launch a new. Uh, episode on Redemption's Table. We sign off and sign on with the same thing every week. Party of Redemption, your table is now available. Uh, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to sign us off today. Party of Redemption, your table is now available. Sign us off. We thank God for Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, and we thank Him for the opportunity to be extensions, expressions, and examples of that redeeming work. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Banneker. Thank you.